what does it look like for a believer to grow and then how do we get there? Okay, and uh, this week we, we, we're kind of looking at how do we grow spiritually, which we've been answering, but also uh, where do we grow? Okay, and uh, I mean, I know that someone will answer the, the word for both those questions and it's true, but stick with me, we're going to dig into it a bit. You know, I was um, <clears throat> uh, thinking about this and uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 popped up for me. So we're going to dig into a couple of verses. Look at this. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hidden to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, I've taught this verse often in terms of praying for the lost and in terms when we, when we do school of the believer and things like that. It was the first time I looked at this verse and thought of it like this. Your mind is involved in salvation. Your mind is involved in salvation and then I would even say in um, your Christian walk as well. And the reason why I think that's such an important point to make is because what, like, I think a lot of us see... Um, salvation is something that happens at the right time, which is a lie. God wanted the, everybody born again the moment that they, they could reason. The moment that they could understand and, and someone would preach the gospel to them, to them he would want them to, under, uh, to receive straight away. So today is the day of salvation always. It's not in two weeks when the environment is in this position and when, you know, like, like we often think that it was the perfect time for them to get saved. It's always, the perf- God's will is always that someone would be saved, never unsaved, <laughs> never left in their, uh, in their lostness. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a couple, um, how do you put it, um, uh, uh, mindsets that I think this reveals because we have the same attitude, I think, when it comes to faith and our walk with the Lord. It's kind of like we think that um, I'm just, now I'm born again and I'm just going to go for it. Like it just, everything must just happen. If, if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. If God wants me to grow, I'm going to grow. You know, God wants you to grow. We've looked at that verse many times. So if you're not growing, it's not God's fault. It's someone else's fault. It's also not the devil's fault. Okay, it's someone else's fault. Ask your neighbor who it is if, you, if you're confused. So if you look further, it says... Um, um, so, this, sorry, this verse is showing us that our mind is involved in salvation. You know, to be blinded, think about what it means to be blinded. It means you can't see what you, what you, you should see. So it's like there's, a, there's something uh, uh, stopping you from seeing something. So uh, uh, this is saying that um, the mind of the unbeliever is blinded. Okay, what was, what is it, uh, uh, what was blinded? Their mind. The, the, the Greek word for mind is talking about thinking patterns. So it's, it's not just talking about your, your thoughts or your imagination. It's talking about the way that you think. Okay? It's, it's, it's referring to the way that you feel even in, in terms of emotions. So, you know, when the gospel is preached and if there's someone understands it, that's what, the, what we'd call illumination. That's what you call revelation. It's not something mystical. I don't know about you, but I saw it like this for a long time where it might be something weird, like um, all of a sudden you just had this revelation. And it's like it dropped from somewhere on top of your head and you had, like we think salvation is like that. Sometime someone, the unbeliever is just going to have a revelation of God's love and they're going to get saved. They might have a revelation of God's love and get saved, but it was because someone explained it to them and the Holy Spirit could work with that. Someone told them about it and the Holy Spirit could work with that. The Holy Spirit's job is to lead us in truth and to guide us in truth. Okay, so if you don't have truth, He can't guide you in it. I remember years back, I was talking to a friend of mine and he was talking about all the crazy things going on in the body of Christ which still goes on today, and we were talking about it, and he said, I'm just so thankful that I've got the Holy Spirit, uh, I've got the gift of discernment, he first of all said, and that the Holy Spirit will, will show me when things are in error. And I, I stopped and I thought about that, and I was like, okay, firstly, only the, the, some of the modern translations say gift of discernment, but there isn't a gift of discernment. That's a cop-out. 
If you want a gift of discernment, what he was talking about was the Holy Spirit's going to give me discernment and then I don't have to do the work to be discerning. Because how do you discern between truth and error? Well, you know the truth. So if, if you don't know truth, you can't discern. So it, if, if, when it talks about the gift of the Spirit in the Bible and it says gift of discernment, it actually says gift of discerning of spirits, which is completely different. It doesn't say gift of discernment. That's something that every single one of us needs to grow in and have. Otherwise, you've always got to pray, like, Father, should I let this person babysit my children? What are you going to do? You're not going to pray about it. You'll pray about it. But you're also going to investigate, right? You're going to come to know, is this person have the right character? Are they trustworthy? You know, if you're wanting someone to go to your bank and, and do some banking for, on your behalf, are you going to just pray about it? You're going to pray about it and you're going to investigate. <laughs> so we need, to, we need to realize like discernment is something that we all grow in. Okay? And so the, 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 the message needs to be preached, then people will be, like it becomes a revelation because it's understood. So revelation is really something of understanding. That's why as we meditate on the Word, we have a revelation. It's not like it dropped out of space. It's like it, all of a sudden your mind understood something. And the Holy Spirit's involved in that, definitely. Okay, so <clears throat> when we encounter the gospel, it's with our minds. Okay, and then our, uh, 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 the, we go through thought processes with regards to what the information that's presented to us, and then we choose to believe or not. It's the same thing throughout the Christian journey. We, 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 we get information, we process it, we reason it, and then we accept it or reject it. Okay? <coughs> um, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as, uh, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient... He shall eat the good of the land. But if he refuse and rebel, he shall be devoured with the sword, uh, for, the, um, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So, I mean, this is, this is more than 700 years before Jesus' birth, and it's talking about what he would come to do for us. So there's the gospel. Okay, There's a, pro a prophecy about what God would do for us, making us... Uh, forgiving all of our sins. But the key I want to point out there is reason together. Okay? Reason together. Another translation puts it like this. <coughs> it says, um, Come now and let us argue it out together. Let us argue it out together. Let us reason together. A lot of people, believers think that, you know, we need to leave our minds at the door when we come into church. Or when you become a Christian, you need to stop thinking. And now you just need to believe everything. And there's maybe like a very small shred of truth in that. In the sense of we choose to believe the word. But why? The word is trustworthy. Now we're going to have discipleship uh, uh, material available on this soon. But to show like the historical accuracy for Jesus. The, like from uh, secular sources. To show that there's actual proof for the resurrection. It's not just... The Bible, but there's other uh, 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 evidences as well. Those are the kind of things which can help an unbeliever reason out the information that we're presenting to them, and then they could believe. I mean, uh, what was his name? Josh McDowell. You know, he was an investigative journalist, I think, and you can go watch the story, his movie about it, Case for Christ. And, you know, he, he goes to disprove Christianity. And all the evidence that he gathers makes him a Christian. Why? Because he looked at the evidence, he reasoned, and he chose to believe the evidence. So this is what we're talking about in terms of um, our minds. Our minds are involved. Our minds are not evil. Our minds are part of the process for salvation. So we don't just reach... <clears throat> you've got an unlo unsaved loved one. How do you reach them? Yes, you must pray for them. But they're not going to get saved just by you praying. Or you, by you writing little scriptures on, on pieces of paper and putting it in their shoes. 
or under their pillows. I know people who've done this. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. They, if they find the paper and they open it up and they read it and all of a sudden they realize the gospel, then they could be saved. But they're not going to get saved because you put a piece of paper folded up inside their pillow, right? Or you anointed their car with oil. Like that's not how people get saved. The Bible doesn't talk about that. How do people get saved? You preach the gospel in a way that people understand it. They can reason together and then they choose to accept or reject. Okay? So it says, come, let us reason together. The reasoning is to believe the gospel. So believing involves our minds. The mind was involved in your faith, in the start of your journey with Jesus. Your mind opens your heart to the gospel. Okay? And heart doesn't mean spirit in, this, in, in what I'm talking about. Mind is what I'm talking about when I talk about hardship. When we are letting Jesus into our hearts, it's talk, we're talking about our minds. Because our minds are blinded. Now, the, 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 the good news of the gospel comes to our minds. We choose to open up our minds to it, reason it out, study it out, believe it, because we see like, wow, Jesus is alive, and then what? Our spirits are now born again. Okay? So, the message of the gospel changes our minds. And, uh, and then, the rest of the Christian journey is about accepting, uh, changing our minds and accepting what's true about us and true about God, etc. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 24, 46 to 40 and 47. It says, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it is behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the th uh, dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And we're going to come back to this verse again later. But what I want to point out now, is, I want to ask the question, what is being preached? Okay? What's being preached according to verse 47? It's a comprehension test. <laughs> the answer is in the text. Repentance. repentance and remission of sins. Okay. Now the word uh, repentance, like it uh, causes a lot of people for Christians. Yeah. A lot of, for a lot of Christians, that, that word repentance is a problem. But from the Greek word, it really is just talking about changing your mind. Not changing your actions. Now we all agree, changing your actions is important. Okay. You want the person sitting next to you to change their actions. Except you, you don't have anyone sitting next to you uh, tonight, Malcolm. But <laughs> uh, you have, um, what's it, Michael, uh, what other angel names do we know? Gabriel. <laughs> you know, so so we, want, we, want, we, we need to change our actions, but what that verse is showing us is if you look it up and you dig deeper, is that change happens in our minds, and that's the change that God desires. So what we're looking at so far is where change takes place. I mean, where spiritual growth takes place. It takes place in the mind first. The actions follow. That's right. Okay? So Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of, the, of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So there's repentance again. What is repentance? Metanoia. It's a change of mind. A change of mind will lead to a change of action. So repentance means God's word is leading you. God's word is leading you. This is, this is a big one. And there's many applications. I hopefully will get there. But you can draw some conclusions. Okay? But hopefully we'll get there. Repentance means God's word is leading you. This is the intention of the gospel. You hear the gospel, the gospel is trying to lead you towards believing something. Lead you towards the outcome or the fruitfulness of that believing. Okay? The, 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 the God's word is intending to change your thinking, not to encourage you. So there's something that you can repent of if you need to, is looking in the word for just encouragement. Now... Word should encourage, it does encourage us, but the Holy Spirit within you is also there to encourage you. And as a family, we're here to encourage each other. So we should go to the Word for something else, to change our thinking. A lot of the times we need encouragement 
Because we're not looking into the word for uh, repentance. We're not changing our minds according to the word. And so as a result, we need someone to encourage us because of the mess in our lives, because we haven't chosen to believe the word. That was gentle. Um, yeah, God's goodness leads us to change our thinking. What? Our thinking about God. When our thinking about God changes, then we believe. So, believing is a function of changing your thinking. Where's your thinking? In your mind. So, salvation is when I change my mind to think about God's love, His work, His finished work in Christ... The fact that he's rescued me and then when I've changed my thinking about that and I've made a, 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 a confession of that, his spirit comes to dwell in me. Amen. Okay? So, believing the gospel is an act of your will. That's what I'm getting at. It's not something like, I just can't help but like they just, I became a Christian one day, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> it, that doesn't work like that. It, it, it's an act of your will to become a Christian. It's an act of your will to believe the Word. Okay? Your mind is the doorway to your decision making. So your mind was involved at salvation. So we're going to look at the, the role of the mind in spiritual growth. The first change of thinking that, you took, that took place to start you on the journey of salvation was believing in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And what it meant for you. Okay? That now you've been rescued from your sin, uh, you've been made right with God, and now you're a child of God, you're filled with His Spirit, and you, you've, you, you've got eternal life. Okay? Now, the, from that point onwards, we've got spiritual maturity, which is what needs to take place. Like it says in Timothy, we need to. God's will is that... All, not, that how does it put it now? done it for like the whole series so far this verse and now i forget it it's that he wants everyone saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth so you get saved and now he wants you to come to a knowledge of the truth okay so any christian is in the on the journey of spiritual growth which is coming to a knowledge of truth engaging our minds with the word engaging our minds with the word you know what we're talking about today is also the answer of how to change that's what we're talking about. It's, so, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you've received, therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. The same way you've received Jesus as Lord, now walk ye in Him. How did you receive Him? With your mind. I never looked at it like that before. We received Him by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8. Yes. But we received Him by reasoning. We received Him by thinking. And then by choosing to believe. That's the same way we live out our faith. By using our minds. <laughs> our minds are not evil. We've got to use our minds for good. Okay? So we've got to keep changing our thinking. This is really, I believe, going to be the answer for, for some people in the situation that you find yourself in. So, you know, one of the, the ways that we can identify spiritual growth... In ourselves and in other people is, <laughs> this is very funny actually in view of a conversation you and I had, Etienne, but it, it's continuity. What does continuity mean, someone? Unending? Another way? Eternal. Eternal? Consistent. Consistent? Oh, that's good. So, continuity, consistency or whatever is a proof of growth. Okay, there's proof of growth there. So let's look at it in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that received, uh, sorry, they that gladly received his word. Now I love that. They that gladly received his word. So there's step one of Christianity. You're receiving the word with joy, meaning it's a joy to become a Christian. Okay, they that gladly received his word were baptized. Okay, that the same day they were added unto them 3,000 souls. So this happened to 3,000 people the same day at the birth of the church, Pentecost. And they continued steadfastly. That's the key. They continued steadfastly. In what? The apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. So 
They gladly received His word and then they continued steadfastly. They continued with something, what they called the Apostles' Doctrine. Yes, there was fellowship. Yes, there was eating together, breaking bread together. Yes, there was prayers. But it was all on the foundation of the Apostles' Doctrine. And I always used to think Apostles' Doctrine is kind of like a top ten list of the things we should believe. But that's not what it is. And I'm going to explain to you what it is in a minute. Um, the word doctrine in the Greek is implying a mode of explanation. So it's a way of explaining. Okay, so what he's saying is that they continued in the apostles' way of explaining the scriptures. Which changes everything if you think about it. So they continued in the apostles' mode or way of explaining the scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. And um, they had learned this explanation from Jesus in Luke chapter 24. So Jesus' way of explaining the scripture, Genesis to Malachi, is what formed the foundation of the church. And this is what he taught. Um, um, well, let me, let me read it. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. Look here. To 27. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, as Christians, we generally look at the word scriptures and think Genesis to uh, Revelation because it's the Bible we have. But Jesus is using the word scriptures there. What did he mean? He could only mean Genesis to Malachi. He wasn't talking about the book of Matthew. What are we in? Luke. Because Luke hadn't been written yet. He hadn't been talking about 2 Timothy or Revelation because those hadn't been written yet. Okay? He was talking about what he had in his, uh, 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 at, at his disposal there. Okay? So, upon his resurrection, he was teaching his disciples from the scriptures. Not from the Bible. From Genesis to Malachi. Okay, he was teaching the, the scriptures. And this is what's recorded in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. So I've got it up there for you. It says, To whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this is part of Luke chapter 24. Okay, this is part of Luke chapter 24. So Luke chapter 24 uh, 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 is, is a summary of what Jesus taught them for 40 days. Okay, so this is, this is what we're looking at. What he taught them for 40 days was the, what we call the Apostles' Doctrine. Look at Luke chapter 24, 25 to 27 again. He said unto them, O fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The prophets is talking about Old Testament. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning at Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Old Testament, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now I like the word fools there. <laughs> okay, so he says, you know, oh, uh, fools. The word fools, uh, uh, if you go look it up, uh, I found this quite interesting. It's implying that uh, uh, to think through or to reason something. So, like to reason it incorrectly. So he's saying, you guys aren't reasoning correctly. That's what he's saying to them when he says fools. He's describing the way that they're thinking. He's not saying they're childish. He's saying that you, the way you're, you're thinking about the scriptures is wrong. You know, Paul uses the same word in Galatians when he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's saying, your reasoning of the gospel, in, in Galatians he's saying, your reasoning of the gospel is wrong. Your reasoning of the gospel is wrong. The way that you're thinking, the, 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 the word there is referring to the pattern or the mindset that a person has. So, we've got to make sure that the way we think about the scriptures... The way we think about the gospel and the way we think about God, that our method of, 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 our mode of interpretation is correct. That it's not foolish. Okay, believing comes as the result of reasoning. And then he uses the word expounded um, up in Luke chapter 24. It says in verse 27 there, 
And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So expounded is referring to uh, uh, um, interpreting signs and symbols. So what he's saying is he was looking through Genesis to Malachi and he was pulling out all the scriptures which spoke about him. And he was saying, look, Genesis to Malachi is talking about me. That's what Jesus was doing. A lot of people are like, I wonder what he taught for 40 days. It's like, this is what he taught. It's explaining it. He went through Genesis to Malachi and he said, this is what the the, the, the scriptures foretold. I'm the fulfillment. Okay? (coughs) So, and it was all focused in on his death, his burial, and his resurrection because that's the gospel. Now, this is showing us that we... It's essential that as Christians, not as pastors, as Christians, it's essential that we have the right way of reasoning the Scriptures. We have to have the correct mode of interpreting Genesis to Malachi. Because if we don't have the correct way of reading the Bible and understanding the Bible, we will end up in error. And that's the wonderful picture of large parts of the body of Christ worldwide. Because what they do is they'll... Just pick out a verse somewhere out of context, not think about the bigger picture, and then the whole, like they've got hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people running in the wrong direction. Wrong doctrine can destroy your life. Wrong doctrine, you know, what we, if you don't believe the gospel and you don't have the correct gospel, you might not be saved. Now, if anyone's all of a sudden fearful about, I wonder if I've got the right gospel, then you should probably maybe ask someone. <laughs> okay, but if you don't, because you need to have that surety, that confidence in your, in your salvation, in your faith, what you believe. So we grow through reasoning in the scriptures. We're talking about spiritual growth. We grow in the word. We grow through putting our minds in, to work in the word. Okay? It leads to mind change. Which leads to right believing, which as a result is life change. So you want to change your mind, you get into the Word, you don't just read the Bible. A lot of people have a Bible reading plan and they're just gunning through it. Let me just get through this. But they're not thinking about what they're reading. They start in Genesis, they end in Revelation, I did the Bible in a year. And yet none of it impacted their lives. None of it impacted their heart. Well done. You wasted your time. You honest, honestly, that's a big waste of time. What's much more uh, 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 valuable is if you get into the Word and you, 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 you allow it to impact your life and your heart, you understand Genesis to Malachi and you, you, you're kind of bringing it together with the New Testament, you, 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 you see the big picture. You know, what do we call all of this? It's mind renewal. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. I said last week we would get you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'll point this out first. It's, it's talking about a yes, Lord life. A yes, Lord life, meaning I'm a living sacrifice. Now, if you had, traditionally, if, you had a, if, we were, um, if this was a temple and you know, we had an altar and we're going to make a sacrifice, uh, the sacrifice would eventually be dead, Right? We'd make sure it's pegged to the altar and that it's not going anywhere. But now, a living sacrifice means it has to stay there. So if it's saying present yourself, that means you take yourself and you go, yes, Lord, and you're not moving. You're like, I am yours. I belong to you. That's what Paul called himself. He said, I, the, the, the bond servant of Christ. What does that mean? It means he wasn't a slave to Christ, but by choice, he yielded himself to Jesus and he said, everything that I am, all that I have is yours. I'll do what you want. And that made me think of this. Is my life a monument for me or a monument for the glory of God? Is what I'm building for Jesus or is what I'm building for me? And I think that's something that we all have to consider. Is my life bringing glory to Jesus or is it just about bringing comfort to myself? And I like how Paul finishes off verse 1 there. He says, this is reasonable. (laughs) This is your reasonable service. So this is reasonable. 
You know, anything else would, let's say, you add it on, it's unreasonable. <laughs> no, I'm joking. As I was going to say, like, then us, uh, you, you serving tea is unreasonable. You're greeting people at the door is unreasonable. No, no, I'm not meaning it like that. But what I'm saying is that, like, this is something big. We kind of think, well, it's, it's a small thing to do this or to do that. And this is a huge thing. And if we compare it, like this, giving your whole life and living a yes, Lord, life is, the Bible says is reasonable. So you not wanting to say, yes, Lord, is unreasonable. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So the word conformed there means to adapt yourself. So you, you know, some, are, some people enjoy adapting themselves. Okay? Chameleons we can call them. They like adapting themselves to the world. They want to dress to fit in. Everything that they do, they'll, they'll say things to fit in. That, you know, if, if they uh, 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 don't like chocolate ice cream and then they're in a room and everyone's like, oh, we love chocolate ice cream. They'll love chocolate ice cream just to fit in. They could be allergic to chocolate ice cream and they'll want to fit in by saying, wow, chocolate ice cream is the best. Okay, that's conforming to your surroundings. Okay, uh, some, some of us might even uh, conform just because it's, uh, it's, it's, we feel the need to fit in. We feel like we want to belong. Okay, the truth is, is we're either conforming to the way of the world or, there's no and, or we're transforming because we're changing our minds according to the word. So if you're not transforming, you are conforming. And that's why a lot of Christians seem worldly. Because they're not in the Word, so they, and they, or they might be in the Word, but they're not in the Word, allowing the Word to confront their thinking and change their thinking so that their lives can transform. So the word transformed in the Greek is metamorphu, which means to give, an, to give expression. This was a new one for me. Because usually we like, we'll, we'll go straight to the stage of um, uh, uh, an insect, you know, a, 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 a cat, it's an egg, and it becomes a caterpillar, it spins a cocoon, and then, you know, it, it, after a while it becomes a butterfly. And that's correct, but if you look at the definition of uh, uh, this to be, to give an expression, it adds so much more value to it. So look at this. It, it's, it's expression or fruitfulness. And where does fruitfulness come for us? It comes from what we believe. Okay? So, metamorphu or transformed is talking about uh, something coming out. The, cat, the caterpillar went in. And now the butterfly comes out. Unless you're a moth. Okay? <laughs> So it's talking about something coming out or giving expression to. So now, think about it like this. This is what transformation is. Something is in you and you need to give expression to it. You said yes to Jesus and the Spirit came to dwell within you. Now you need to metamorphu. <laughs> okay? You need to give expression to what's inside of you. Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. It's the product of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So now, you've got the Spirit in you. And when you and I allow the Spirit within us to give expression, people see and experience love, joy, peace, etc. So, this is, this is what transformed is talking about. What's inside of you coming out. It's not talking about becoming something that you're not, but bringing out of what's inside of you already. If you think about conforming to the world, the world is trying to get something into you. A different way of thinking. The world is trying to, 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 to get in, into you to control things. Whereas now if we submit to the word, nothing's coming in. But God's trying to get something out of us. So the word renew your mind in the Greek, compound word there, uh, one word for the, the, the phrase, implies to change the way you think. 
to re-educate your mind. So renewing your mind isn't just stopping, stop thinking about evil. It's to change what you're thinking. To start thinking on the right things. Okay? So, simple example, you might feel unworthy. I'm so unworthy. How can God love me? Now you change your mind, you look in the Word and you see that God does love you and you see that you are worthy because of Jesus and now uh, all of that. And so now you need to change your thinking. You go, I'm not going to believe the lie, I'm choosing to believe the truth. So now you speak what's true, not what's not true. And it's a, a process. You don't just automatically start thinking the right thing because you're a Christian, right? You don't automatically start living the right way because you're a Christian. You've got to start embracing the right thing. A lot of people think, I became a Christian now. It should be like all my feelings just are right. Okay, don't put up your hand. I know you all believe that. No. <laughs> I mean, just in talking to people, walking with people, that's something that a lot of people desire. Is like, I just want God to change all my feelings. I want to feel the right things. And it's like... You, 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 it doesn't work like that. Because your feelings are a byproduct of what you believe. So, if you believe you're a dog, you're going to still feel like a dog and act like a dog. Even though you're not a dog. Okay? So what you need to do is start to get into the Word and see what the Word says about this. And then you go, wow, I'm choosing to believe the truth now of the Word, not what I feel about myself or even what the world is telling me about myself. Okay, so in renewing my mind, <clears throat> I'm giving expression to what's inside. Think about that. I'm giving expression to what's inside. If I'm not renewing my mind, I'm adapting myself to something else. I'm conforming to something else. When we renew our minds, we're not aligning our thought patterns to the system of the world. So the world is trying to get us to think like them. Like even controlling education and all sorts of things like that so that we can get people to think a specific way. Whereas we need to start to believe what the Word says because then it gives expression to what's inside. And when we conform to the world, we're not able to give expression to the, what's inside of us. That's why we don't get to experience the reality of Christianity often. Because we're not thinking according to God's way. So... We need to renew our minds to who's inside of us. Christ. Our new identity. Our hope of glory. As we do this, the seed of Christ in us, gives, we give expression to that seed. We give expression to the Spirit within. Then it says that you may prove what is at the end. That you may prove what is. That you may prove what. This is telling us that as we start embracing God's thoughts, thoughts, the way God thinks, we need to, we, we, we must approve God's word over the world's views. That's what this is saying. It's not talking about God's plan and purpose for your life. That you be a doctor, lawyer, teacher, what else. This is talking about you now starting to say, I'm approving God's way, not the world's way. And then you start to live in God's way, which is God's will for your life. <laughs> Just a different uh, uh, explanation of it. So, to approve things that are excellent, your approval needs to come from aligning what you see and understand with the teachings of the Word. So, this whole thing of you may approve what is, is your thoughts Harmonize, being harmonized with God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Some, some verses to flesh this out. This I say therefore, to, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Now let's pause there for a moment. Think about that line. Think about it for a moment. What's this saying? He's writing to Christians and he's saying, don't walk like unbelievers. Which means that a Christian can walk like an unbeliever. And yet so many Christians judge people's salvation or judge people's walk by their fruitfulness. Yes, we need to consider that. But you can't see 
the seed inside really okay so what this is saying is he's saying hey you're living like an unbeliever stop it <laughs> you're better than that okay and the vanity of their mind so the mind is playing a part he's saying don't copy the world don't live like the world colossians 3 6 for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these things. Anger. Who's he, who's he speaking to? Christians. And he's saying, take off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not uh, one to another. So stop lying. And seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man and have put on the new man. He's not saying put on the new man. He's saying you have put on the new man. So now take off the old man. Okay. Look at Galatians 3, 26 to 28. For ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, and that has nothing to do with water, that's talking about becoming a Christian and being immersed into the Spirit of God. So as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor uh, Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So what I want you to see is that these verses that we've looked at, are dependent on your identity so he's saying stop lying because you've put on you, you you've put on christ you are a christian so now stop that because of who you are and now he's saying you know you, you, you're no longer jew you're no longer greek you're not bond you're not free, free or whatever and he's saying uh, 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 you're all one in christ he's, he's bringing it to a place of identity so right living doesn't make sense apart from your identity in Christ. Living like Jesus doesn't make sense apart from your identity in Christ. So part of our spiritual growth um, path would be that we have to come to an understanding of our identity. And as a result of understanding our identity, our lives start to change. But how do we understand our identity? We'll read it, we'll hear it, we'll learn it, whatever, and then we've got to choose it. A lot of Christians choose not to believe the Word. They choose not to believe what God says about them or thinks about them or whatever. And that's what we've got to do, is choose to believe the Word. What, who God is, what He says about us, and then who we are, obviously, in Him. Here's a, a, an example. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. And be kind one to another and tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So, as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, this is so good because religion will tell you this is everything you have to do to be accepted by God. This is everything you need to do to be included. And Christianity is like, because of who you are, this is what you can do. And this is how you should be. So he's, he's not saying you have to forgive people. But he's saying, if you're a Christian, you will forgive people. He's not saying you have to forgive someone who hurt you. He's saying, you're a Christian, you'll forgive them. There's a big difference there. I'm not saying if you don't forgive, you're not a Christian. But what I am saying is if you won't forgive someone else, then you don't believe you're forgiven. Because if you believe that you're forgiven, then the love of God has impacted your heart to the degree you're going to start to see other people differently. And you'll forgive. Now I'm thinking now of our, our, um, uh, the pastor we connected with in, in Skoda in Albania. Yeah. Um, her husband was the pastor of the church. And he was uh, shot and killed on the steps of the church uh, for a blood feud, and, uh, which he had nothing to do with except being born into that family. And he said, if I get killed, because they knew it was a possibility, they were trying to avoid it, uh, if I get killed, we forgive. So he got killed, and uh, the wife, 10 years later, they, they had chosen to forgive, they had said they would forgive, so that their family is not retaliating by killing the next person in line. They just stopped it now. 
which means they brought shame on their family, which means no one wants to do business with their family, no one would want to marry into the family, things like that. So it brings big problems in the culture. And 10 years after the murder, she comes face to face in a coffee shop with the, the murderer, who had been released early from jail. And uh, God, she had never saw him before, but God said, that's your husband's murderer. So she walked up to him, asked him, are you so-and-so? He wouldn't admit it. They sat, she said, can I sit with you? Sat with him, said, do you know who I am? So, said, this is who I am. Then all of a sudden he was squirming a little bit in his chair. And she said, uh, shared the gospel, this is why we're forgiving you, and that's it. And, and the families have unofficially expressed forgiveness, and now they're wanting to do it publicly to try and break the crazy culture of blood feuds. But the point is, is she chose to forgive because she knows that she's forgiven. If you're struggling to forgive someone, the problem is in someone. The problem is between your ears, actually. You're not the problem. The problem is you're not willing to get to the truth and accept what the Word says. So, if you won't forgive someone, you don't believe you're forgiven. Philemon, Philemon 1 verse 6. That the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. As a Christian, there's so much good in you because you're in Christ. There's so much good in you because you're in Christ. But this says that you have to acknowledge it for it to become effectual. In order to acknowledge something, what needs to take place? Knowledge. <laughs> you can't acknowledge without knowledge. Otherwise, you just got act. Okay, so to acknowledge, you've got to have knowledge. We said this last week. Let's see who remembers the word for, for, for knowledge that we're looking for. Epignosis, which isn't talking just about information, it's talking about correct, precise, accurate knowledge. So this shows us that as Christians, there's a lot of responsibility on us to get to the truth of, of the matter. Because if we don't have the truth about the Word, about God, about ourselves, we're not going to experience the fruitfulness of it. We won't enjoy what God's put inside of us. So as we reason through, this is, this is good discipleship. What I'm talking about is receiving knowledge. That's discipleship. Okay? As we reason through the scriptures, we should see Christ. As you read through Genesis to Malachi, if you don't see Jesus, you're doing it wrong. And that's why so many people's Bible study plan is useless. It just is a tick for them and they feel good about themselves and they think that that's going to give them accolades in heaven. It doesn't. Okay? You need to read through Genesis... And in Genesis chapter 1, see the gospel. If that confuses you, please sign up for ministry school. <laughs> in Genesis chapter 1 is the gospel. Now I want to go off on a different tangent. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 is the gospel. Because it all reveals Jesus. Okay? So, when we see Christ, we need to see ourselves. Because we're in Christ. Then you see your identity. You know, whether you act like Jesus or not, you're in Him. So you may as well act like Him. Whether you act like a Christian or not, Christ is in you. So you may as well let Him out. Give expression to who's living inside of you. That's evangelism. Meaning, you're starting to let Jesus out. Then people get to meet Jesus and not just you in your carnality sometimes. Meaning, you're flipping out because this and that, the next thing, and you're saying this and, and being mean. And, but instead, Jesus' love and patience and kindness and goodness and all this is pouring out of you. you know, when we read through the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, we see instructions of how we should and shouldn't live. But all of that is not obligations. It's not moral obligations. It's, 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 they always encourage us firstly in identity. This is who you are, so this is what you can do. So, like that verse said, Paul's telling us, you've put on Christ, now put off the old man. Now stop acting like this, stop living like this, because of who you are. So good discipleship isn't behavior modification. Good discipleship is never, the gospel has nothing to do with behavior modification. It's a renovation of thinking. It's, 
Renovating your, your, your thinking house. Okay? Changing the way you're thinking. Good discipleship establishes you in Jesus' mode of interpreting the scriptures. Jesus' way of approaching Genesis to Malachi. Good discipleship establishes you in the truth about who God is. The truth about who you are. And good discipleship is life-giving. It will lead you to overflow. Good discipleship doesn't stop with you. It gives you truth and you're like, I have to share this with someone. And then you want to start sharing it with someone. If that doesn't happen, then you're treating the word as if it's not alive, as if it's not living. So where do we renew our minds to the word? Because now we've seen, we need to renew our minds to the truth of God's word. We need to renew our minds to these things. And we need to be in the word. I I had um, someone... Uh, say to me they're enjoying the teaching so much they really desire to to know more and they want to kind of like be able to understand what I understand and all this and they said I work long hours I really don't have time for that is that bad on their part no I was like I know you have a job and I know you don't have a lot of time for the word you know and I'm not telling you to get up at 4 a.m. and tire yourself out trying to come to conclusions in the word I said, that's why God gave you me. <laughs> that, that, and I'm not being prideful about that or anything. I said, I've got more time than you to study the Word. It's amazing. God set it up like this. Can you think of the imagination God had and the brilliance that He is to think about this? People will be busy. He's like, they're going to be busy. They're going to be distracted with money and all sorts of the beach and whatever. And they're not going to want to spend time in the Word. So I'm going to raise up pastors, elders who will be digging into the Word. They won't want to do all those other things that everyone else is doing because they'll be more passionate about the Word and feeding people. And I said, there you go. Here I am. You see to make sure you come to church now. Because I won't have pity. I said, I won't have pity on you if you're not in church. I'm not going to teach you privately. (laughs) Doesn't work like that. So Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They continued. They continued. It doesn't say one continued. It says they. We're a community. This is where discipleship happens. This is where spiritual growth happens. Together. It doesn't happen separate. Okay? If we're not in community, we cannot expect to grow spiritually. doesn't matter how passionately you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 15. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So he gave leadership gifting to the church. Okay, He gave leadership gifting. That is talking about the expression of Christ in the elders of the church. Elders are people who are mature. It's not people who are called. That's a good one. Elders are not people who are called to ministry. Elders are people who are mature spiritually. Every single one of you can become an elder. An elder is a pastor. That's God's spiritual growth. You don't have to stand up front, but you can be someone who people come to because they want to grow. Because they want to learn something about God. Because they know that you've got something worth giving. Okay, verse 12. For the, so the purpose of the leadership is the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So it's for a purpose, not entertainment, ironically. So we all come in the unity of faith. I'm going to get to that one. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, and by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth of love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So this is saying, it's time to grow up. And growing up takes place in a local church. Under good leadership, which is some leaders aren't aiming to equip people and give them understanding and help them mature to a place where they're not relying on you anymore. They're trying to keep people there and not share everything that they know, maybe, or not give all that they can, but just trying to keep a little bit elevated because it's a security, job security. 
But verse 13, it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith. That's largely misunderstood, so I thought I'd take a moment to explain that. That's not talking about every Christian coming to unity. Where we can have one prayer meeting between all denominations and whatever. Some people interpret it like that. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. The faith, it's talking about till we. It's, it's, it's not, um, how did I put it here? It's, um, it's not talking about we, it's talking about the individual. So it's until we all come to the unity of the faith. So I come to a correct explanation of the faith. That's part of the maturity process. As we mature, I, Shane, come to a unity in my mind and my logic and my reasoning comes into unity regarding the faith so that I'm established in the truth so I can explain it to someone else. So maturity is understanding the faith. Not just different topics, but how it all comes together. For years and years and years, I had this, like all these different topics and understandings. This is what, what Bible colleges do. They have different topics, and I couldn't figure out how they fit it together sometimes, because they conflict. And then, you know, the understanding of the mode of explanation of the scriptures brought a unity for me which made everything fall into place now that's what god desires for all of us okay maturity means you're no longer a child that you're stable and that you're constant now growth or maturity looks like jesus that's what this is saying that's how we can measure ourselves so god set it up so we can grow under leadership of elders in the local church who operate in the leadership giftings with the purpose of equipping us Equipping isn't giving something to us. So me equipping, like if I, if Etienne's coming to do gardening for me, I'm not equipping him, uh, like I, you could look at it as I'm giving him the lawnmower and I'm giving him cutters and a rake and I'm equipping him for the job. Don't think of it like that when we're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. The word equipping kind of misleads us. Equipping is not giving you something you don't have. Equipping is specifically referring to epignosis. Giving you the right knowledge, but the right knowledge of what you already have. That's, that's the illuminating. It's, it, it's turning the light on inside of you to what your reality is. So, finishing off. This is how we grow in spiritual maturities, the word. Being taught the word, not just reading the word. We need to be taught so that we can teach. That's shown in Second Timothy chapter 2 as well. The word shows us who we really are. And when we see what the word says about us, we need to accept it. That's what faith is. We accept what the, the word says. And as the word shows us how we should live, we need to make decisions to allow the spirit within us to have its expression. Now, this is the point. Spiritual growth happens as we get into the Word, as we allow leaders to confront us with the Word as well, and then we choose, I'm going in this direction, the Word said that, now I'm going in this direction. So it's a change of direction as a result of, I've changed my mind. Amen. So I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that for all of us, something within us desires to grow. We, we really do desire. I know every single person in this room has a desire, no matter how big it is. They want to know you more. They want to grow in their relationship with you, in their purpose. They want to grow in their fruitfulness as a believer. I thank you, Father, that tonight you've given them answers of how that's possible. In the Word, within community. And I thank you that this year, will be a year of tremendous fruitfulness for whoever will step into your pattern for growth. We trust this teaching has blessed you and enriched you in your faith. We want to invite you to contact us, whether you need prayer, whether you have a question. You can contact us online, www.gracelife.co. That's www.gracelife.co. You can find a whole bunch of free teachings online. You can also find out how to partner with us should you wish to support this ministry. And you can find out how to contact us if you have a prayer request. 
We invite you to contact us www.gracelife.co.uk.